What's up, everyone? My name is Joshua, and I want to welcome you to another broadcast. If you're joining this broadcast, obviously you've seen the title, I Gave Myself HIV. That is not the shock, but it's, it's the truth. Now, before, before I get too far in this, I want to give a thank you to my wife, because my wife, is the one that led me to do this broadcast. As crazy as that may sound to you, it's the truth. And how it came about was that a lot of people are finding out that they have HIV right now. And I'll leave it up to you to figure out how that's happened, but it's been all over the news. A lot of people, again, are waking up. They had no clue that they had HIV. Some people have AIDS and they didn't know, but they just got really sick. When got tested and found out that their CD4 and CD8 counts were compromised and now they have HIV or AIDS. And there's a lot of different ways that you can get HIV, but I want to talk about how I got it. And I want to thank my wife for encouraging me to do this and the way she brought it up as we were talking last night, she said, I've heard you say that like in, in a sentence when you were talking about chemsex and you were talking about your past and giving my testimony or any of the other broadcasts that I've done that I've referenced having HIV, we're also referencing chemsex. And she told me that she's heard me say that I gave myself HIV, but I didn't expand upon it. And she felt like I should talk about it. So I will. Now, I want to back up really quick. Actually, camera, camera. So I think you can, camera, come here. Okay. You may be able to see this. Those of you who are not listening on the podcast, by the way, thank you to everyone who's been downloading the podcast. We've grown quite a bit over the last couple of days. And I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart because your support goes a long way in helping us support the Live Modern Worldwide Foundation. So thank you very, very much. Bring them over here, just in case you guys can hear me. Okay. A guide to chemsex. What is it and how can you make it safe? Now, those of you who don't know what chemsex is, essentially it's people that enjoy chemical sex, whether it's cocaine, meth, ecstasy, and other stimulant that invigorates horniness it enhances sex. And I, before I go on, I want to say this, I feel like I need to say it. I in no way want to encourage anyone to go down this path. In fact, most of the time that I talk about chemsex, I say, please don't Google it or have filters on when you Google it, because the images and the videos that you could see are as disturbing as it gets. It's no different than watching someone be murdered. Now, yes, it's not the same thing, but when you realize how dead inside people are, gosh, I just, okay, I'm, I have adrenaline now. My adrenaline's kicking in because the subject is something that is not fun to talk about. It's easy when you're just like going over chemsex, but here it is. I'm going right into the middle of it. And if you're a believer and you believe in prayer and protecting yourself, pray. Because again, this is not a fun subject to hear or listen to or talk about, but it's necessary and I'm going to talk about it. Holy Spirit, help me. Help me. Help me. Okay. The images are awful because what's going on is awful. You are soulless in the process. Your soul leads your body. I'm, I think it's pretty much every time you do a line of cocaine, uh, meth, any of that stuff, it's like your soul will leave you. It's like, hey, I don't want to do that. <laughs> That's not... It's like God's going, yeah, I didn't sign up for all that. I don't want that inside of me. I didn't create you to pollute your body like this. I created you to be a temple for me to go serve and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Like That's what I created you for. I didn't create you for this. I didn't create you for this savage abuse of your body and complete neglect of everything that you've been blessed with. Chemsex is a freaking nightmare. So I absolutely want to make it very clear that I am not glorifying this practice. I'm not encouraging it. And I'm telling you right now that if you've ever done Coke or meth or any other drug like that and had sex, stop now because 
if you have an addictive personality, you will never be able to go back to regular sex ever again. It is one of the more challenging roads to recovery. There is, there's all kinds of trauma out there. There's all kinds of addiction out there. But the fact is this one's brutal, brutal, brutal. Okay. So it, this article, I just pulled it up. It was on Healthline. Queer men and transgender women. Let's see here. Pull it down just a little bit. Okay. Queer men, transgender women, and their sexual partners have developed a unique culture of sexualized drug use with facilitated, or uh, that use facilitated by sex apps like Grindr. There's all kinds of sex apps. I think I just did a broadcast here recently and I said match.com was like a swinger site for me. And uh, I wasn't saying that to brag, saying that because I was, I was a junkie and just being honest. So it's not just grinder, but you as I continue to explain, I mean, there's, it's embarrassing that I know all these and you know what? I'm not going to say the names because I don't want to promote them. I don't want you going to them because I just don't want to encourage sex addiction. In the United States and Canada, it's called party and play or PMP in Europe and Asia. It's called chemsex. Chemsex refers to using a substance to enhance sexual experiences. P and chemsex include both recreational encounters like sex parties, paid experiences between sex workers and their clients. Let's see what else I got here. We believe that health and wellness is for everyone. That's why we're committed to providing unbiased. Okay, this is Healthline saying that. So what kind of drugs are used? I gotta not read this. I'm not going to read that because I don't want to trigger myself because I have a responsibility. In a lot of my past broadcasts, I've talked about how I've had fits where I go through this, where I'm triggered or like I, I get in a really bad place having multiple personalities, AKA disassociative identity disorder, which by the way, I have healed dramatically. My life is nothing like it was. I have control over myself for the most part. And when I do switch, I have safety precautions in place that will remove me from any situation that I need to be removed from. And I'm grateful for this. And, and so if you want to judge me for having DID, I'm sorry, I didn't sign up for being molested. I didn't sign up for being abused. I didn't sign up for any of that. Okay. But I also, at the same time, I did sign up for the other self-inflected trauma I did. And anyone out there that has ever battled with chem sex addiction, my heart goes out to you for several reasons. And one of them is the judgment that you face. Because there's a lot of closet perverts out there, but yet when the pervert gets caught, then, ah, he's the bad guy. He's the bad girl. We all have some secret hidden stuff with sexuality because frankly, sexuality is just a very weird, hard, challenging subject to even wrap your arms around because it's all so different for every single person. It's not black and white. And people try to categorize it and make it sound like it just fits into some neat little box. Okay, you're gay, you're straight, you're bisexual. It, it's way more complicated than that. Way more. Anyway, I digress. So I gave myself HIV because I was a chemsex addict. Chemsex. So it's one thing. You, if you know what it's like to be an addict of anything, you know that, that pull, that, that, that feel like people that talk about being led by the Holy Spirit, which is the most amazing feeling and experience ever, because that's what leads you to the promised land. That's what leads you to our destiny. It leads us to our destiny. It leads us to the purpose in which we were created for when we follow the spirit. But when you're angry and you're hurt and you just want to escape your body when you want to make your brain explode. And again, if you've never been an addict, you may not know what I'm talking about. So I'm going to speak directly to the addicts. And another thing, I want to give a shout out to the drugs community inside of Reddit. Thank you. Uh, because also the conversations and what you all are doing by having these conversations, which has opened me to start sharing in that community about my own experiences and how I've recovered, I want to give a shout out because your courage to speak out about your struggles and the things that you're fighting has really 
motivated me and inspired me that I need to be more bold about talking about this subject. So when my wife said, you need to talk about this, I was going to do a chem sex episode, but she literally said, you need to tell people how you purposely gave yourself HIV. Thanks, honey. Anyway. So here we are. Okay. And I forgive me if I'm jumping around. I don't, this is, I don't plan broadcast and I'm like, just, I need to speak from the heart with this anyway. There's no script that's going to help you understand this. But that addiction, when you have that craving, whether it's a sex addiction where you just can't stop jerking off or you can't stop masturbating or you can't stop looking at porn, or if it's the drug addiction and you just can't stop using and then you go through your cycle and you go on your four day binge and then you feel like crap and you're okay, God, I'm never going to do it again. And then a day later, after you can finally, your tongue is gone from being so swollen that you can't talk anymore or put anything else in your mouth. You sober up just enough to go, I got to get high again. Or you're like, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go drink myself to sleep because I can't even deal with how shitty I feel right now. Pardon my French. Got a curse with this one though. So be warned. I'm, I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth right now. Holy spirit help. So. If you've ever had those cravings that you couldn't control, it could be sweets or sugar. You can't put the sugar down. That's one thing. And that's hard to fight. But for me, it was immediate chemsex addiction because with the very first time I did drugs, all of the nightmares in my brain, all of the things that haunted me from being abused by being molested by men and women and older guys too, because it was not just once, not just twice. Like all I was bad, the pain of seeing my parents fight, go through the divorces and that divorce situation was ugly. Dealing with molesting, not knowing what was going on with me, going to church, hearing the word, you're a faggot, or not hearing you're a faggot at church, hearing I'm a faggot all through grade school, because that's how kids made fun of each other back then. The guys called each other faggots and they didn't think anything of it. It was just because it was some stupid word that they heard and thought was okay to say, and they did. A lot of people said a lot of racist things back in the day, not knowing what they were saying, but they said it because they, mommy and daddy said it, right? That happens. And to deny that's an actual thing is so stupid. And that's the problem with cancer culture, but that's another show. Not knowing what was going on with me because I've been having these thoughts, but I'm also having these nightmares and I don't know. If you've ever been addicted to something that causes you pain, I don't know, like a bad relationship, an abusive relationship. It's a very interesting thing about sex because when the brain associates pain and pleasure together, especially at a young age, when your brain is developing, you're in for some interesting times because the very things that hurt me were also the very things that were supposed to make me feel better or did make me feel better. Meaning. You know how you've ever heard about some people that are raped, go try to recreate the rape scenario. Okay. That's what I did. And I became addicted to it because the very first time I've started with ecstasy that night, then went to ketamine, then went to cocaine, then went to meth, then went to more cocaine, more ecstasy. And, but I'm immediately in this situation. Next thing I know I'm in an orgy and I'm with men and women and maybe some things I wasn't really sure of, but it doesn't matter. That's what I was doing. And that very first time I was hooked because all the nightmares in my brain about all the awful things that happened to me all turned to fantasies. Like, and you think one time is not enough, but when someone's broken and so desperate inside that they can't even think for themselves, all they can think is, how can I get out of this feeling the way I feel right now? How do I escape my body? How do I run? 
how do I get away from this pain? How do I get out of this horror show? More drugs, more sex. I could not have sex without wanting drugs. And at that time, I didn't necessarily know how to get all the drugs that I wanted. So I would use any type of pharmaceutical that I could use. But then when I found drugs, oh, I was willing to do anything to get them. So I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about sexual exploits and everything else, but I do want to talk about this. This addiction, chemsex, is nothing to mess around with. And I realize that most of the world's population has no freaking clue what chemsex is or what PNP is or party and play or any of these other things. Unless if you've been in the gay community and been in hookup apps and sex apps and stuff like that, you're probably not going to know what this is. So I don't expect this to be very popular or even something well received, but I'm not here for that. I'm here to do what God leads me to do. And I'm also going to do, I want to honor my wife because she wants me to talk about it. So I am. Just like a sugar addiction, because it's easy to get. You ever try to quit having sugar at all? It's tough. Imagine something where you get into relationships. Like for me, I had this secret chemsex addiction going on. And then at the same time, I'm also having all this shame because I grew up hearing in church that I was going to hell for being gay. If I wasn't just into women, I was going to hell. And so I was like hiding this part of my life. And of course, I wasn't really sure what was real because let's be honest, the drugs take reality and flip it around. So I didn't know what was real, but I did know that I drugs and sex together. And it didn't just have to be men. It didn't have, it wasn't just women. It was transsexuals. And sometimes I wasn't even sure. And it's ugly and it's nasty, but I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop every time I tried to stop. It just, this demon, this call, everything the devil inside me about is about the book that my wife and I wrote is a, essentially about multiple personalities and chemsex, and this struggle with knowing deep down what God really wanted for me, and then running like hell away from it. I didn't want that responsibility. I didn't want the responsibility of having to try to be good because I didn't believe I could be. All I wanted was to die because that's how bad it got. I had no control over myself, yet at the same time, deeply codependent. So here's the problem with getting into a relationship when you are not healed and healthy, because it doesn't matter what it is. Even if you came out of an abusive relationship, even if you just got cheated on and then you go run into another relationship, you were setting yourself up for a savage experience. So I'm this unhealthy guy, but yet on the outside could make it appear that I had it all together because I knew what success looked like. I knew how to fake it. I knew how to hide. I knew how to keep secrets. I learned because I learned keeping my father's secrets. It's really interesting when you grow up and your parents are like, okay, you gotta be honest with me. You gotta tell me the truth. And then, hey, you don't tell people what's going on in this house. You don't tell people what happened to you. My molesters, don't tell anything. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody I'm going to beat your ass. All those kind of things. So I learned a lot. Learned to keep a secret. And look, I took responsibility for all of my lying, but I learned pretty young and I got really good at it. So I'm here it is. I'm so codependent. I just, I have all of these filthy desires and these filthy dirty cravings and not even dirty in a fun, fluffy way. I'm talking dirty and just, it just obsessive. And of course the, the very, the smell of drugs just immediately kicks that other demon back in. I couldn't have sex with any of these girlfriends that I had. Cause you know, I felt 
here's the deal. I got into all these relationships to help me with my mask. And also because I really didn't want to be into guys. I didn't want that. So here it is as I'm doing all this. It's like I didn't want it, but I was doing it anyway. And then I, and then I felt like I needed to do it because that's what this thing inside of me was grabbing me and pulling me towards. And again, I'm not trying to avoid responsibility because I accept responsibility for every bit of this. At that time, I didn't exactly have the mind of Christ to go, okay, I'm going to pray this way, of course, or even know my authority or know my true power or knew that I actually had a lot more strength and power than I thought I did. But no, I've given into that voice every time because it was uncontrollable. And I just wanted to make it happy. So all of these relationships I would get in and I would, and I'm a charismatic guy and any of my exes, by the way, would admit to this. I'm not saying this to brag at all, but any of my exes would admit to this. I charmed the pants off like in minutes. There's a reason why I was sleeping with all of them the first night. And they all saw something in me that I didn't even know existed. They saw more or less the man that I've become today. Now, I'm not a saint at all, but I believe what they were seeing in me and the, why they put up with the abuse, why they put up with the lies, why they put up with the gaslighting, why they put up with the cheating is because they believed in me. They thought that I was good or I had good in me and I did. I just didn't know it. So I'm cycling in and out of these relationships, jumping in marriages, believing that marriage would change me. And you know what happened? Cheated on them. Every time I almost got caught, they got hurt for it. In some variety of ways, whether it was gaslighting, whether it was physical violence, whether it was screaming, whether it was purposefully causing them to get so angry at me that they would make me leave. And then I would use that to go on a multiple day bender hooking up with God knows how many people. It was also so bad because I, at that time I was making so much money that I could afford hookers. So, and here's the thing. I so desperately wanted somebody to know the truth about me. So I went to hookers. A lot of men go to hookers, whether you're on drugs or not. A lot of men go to hookers or they used to because that used to be a place where they could keep their secrets. Because those little boys trapped in man's bodies that were afraid to tell their wives or girlfriends what they really wanted, what they were really fantasizing about. So then they go to hookers. And then they do those things with hookers. And then they, because they feel safe with hookers, they feel, and really what it is is a spit in the face to hookers. Because it's like, they're just, you know, what are they going to do? They're hookers. So they're going to take my money and they're going to do what I say. That's the mentality when you're dealing with a prostitute. No offense to my former friends that are prostitutes. I love you guys. But it's true. The men don't have respect for you. And of course, so codependent, I started falling in love with hookers. Because guess what? Those are the only people I had the courage to be honest with. So I would leave hookers and then go to the, whether it's a porn theater, a bathhouse, depending on what state or city I lived in at the time, I was finding something. And then of course, sex apps came, Craigslist, which I'm also pretty, well, not famous for, but made all the newspapers getting arrested with prostitute. I was married the first time when had twins on the way. I'll never forget doing a line of Adderall outside of that hotel room right before I got arrested. Gosh, that was a day. So the title of this is I gave myself HIV. So you're going, okay, where's like, when's he going to talk about that? Or if you're still here listening, or is anyone still here? I don't know, but I'm doing this out of obedience. Cocaine. So after 
losing everything the first time around after my first divorce, after I lost my twins, because My first marriage, I remember we got married in Mexico, then came back and had a reception. And uh, I remember getting wasted and uh, at the reception. And I was like attracted to the bartender. He was a male. And uh, I was drunk enough that I could tell my wife. I was like, I told her because I was trying to hit because I really wanted her to know. I didn't want to keep the secret and uh, so I was drunk and I told her and she goes, if you would have told me that before we were married, I would not have married you. And so I went on to lying more. So we're like, oh, I'm done with that life. I won't do it again. But the truth was I did it a lot. I hated my life. I hated her. I hated because I wanted to explore this side of myself and and of course, I didn't know what was real because I was using so much cocaine at the time. I wasn't really into meth yet. But I'll never forget the night I was just quick coming home. And there was this night that I was up doing, I had like two eight balls and I was at my office and I was doing the, I was doing coke there, watching porn and jerking off because I was trying to find. I don't even, I don't even think I was trying to hook up at that time with someone else. It was just watching porn obsessively like a goon and I didn't come home. I'll never forget. It was like four o'clock in the morning because I had come home. My dad showed up at the office, saw my car there and I was in the middle of doing something God awful, but I don't, I just remember him coming in, but. God, there's so many awful stories like this and I. So needless to say, I went to rehab and that was like, if you ever want to see your kids again, you're going to go to rehab kind of situation. So I went to rehab reluctantly. Rehab was free and rehab was like, oh, this is nice. Okay. I like this. <laughs> it was freedom. And I, plus I was away from her because I hated her. I hated, there was nothing real about her. Of course, there's nothing real about me either, but I didn't want that life. I didn't want to be married to her. I didn't even want to have kids and it's not because I didn't, it was something because I don't, love, now I love children, but then I couldn't take care of myself. How in the world was I going to take care of two kids? And I'd already had found out just before that I had a three and a half year old that it came from a one night stand. Actually it was, we had sex more than that, but basically it was. Another, we were on drugs and having sex kind of relationship. It was right before I moved to Hawaii. So anyway, after that, I go to rehab and rehab was like good for me. I was getting all this stuff off my chest. I was talking about the, the struggles that I was going through and it felt nice to be able to speak openly. What else was I going to do? I was in rehab and I was not going anywhere for several months. So eventually you just start getting comfortable talking. I wanted out of the marriage, even though I was very codependent and didn't want to be alone. I wanted out of the marriage. So I confessed to the cheating, not all of it, but I confessed. Next thing I know, for, my car was being packed up, even though I wasn't there. And I was going to be on my own as soon as I got out. Fast forward, getting out of rehab, I wasn't able to pay the child support that was put on me. If my kids are watching this, because I do know that you talk to my oldest daughter, I want you to know that I can't change any of the stuff that I did. And, uh, 
that I've really lived ever since I gave my life to the Lord. I've given, I've, I've tried to live in such a way that if you ever found me, you would be proud. And I, there's so many bad things that I do. can't make right. And I just wish I could have met you now and not then. Of course, I'm crazy now, but I think for the right reasons. But I couldn't afford the child support payments and the, and, and the spousal support and, and that. And I was in no condition to be a dad. I rehab wasn't good for me. Rehab made things worse. It was good to talk, but my drug cravings and my battle with my sexuality and knowing what was real. So now I want to talk about it just. I, I couldn't stop. I even after getting married again and getting caught basically in, in full swing of a chem sex addiction, getting caught with other men, getting caught with emails and she didn't deserve that. I didn't like my first wife. She didn't deserve it. My second wife, she didn't deserve it. She's freaking a great human being. And, uh, I just, she's actually somebody that I might, like, I, I have the most amazing wife now and uh, like, I could see Stephanie and Jessica being like the best of friends because they are just both bright stinking lights of love. And yeah, it's just, they're just special people. They are. Stephanie didn't deserve that and neither did her kids. And I'm, and I, I apologize to them, but I don't know how much is stuff that matters, but I've been married third time and I wasn't healed yet. And that was a crazy marriage. We didn't know each other that, is. but this, that, but she, she knew about me having HIV, but I'll never forget. And I don't know. I don't know if this is the day I got HIV. But I had totally, totally forgotten about this memory. It's about drug memories is sometimes you get flooded with things that you're like, oh my gosh, I forgot about that. I forgot I did that. And I got a lot of those moments. So it's like this, I gave my testimony, my testimonies in the book, the devil inside me, like all the details up until LA, but I want to talk. The reason why I want to do this broadcast, and I don't know why it's taken me so long to get to this point, to talk about it. Bad boy, him. I was desperate. I needed to feed this beast inside of me, this demon inside of me. And I don't know if you can relate to this any, whatever kind of addiction that you've fought. But what's so scary about chem sex addiction is that it's one thing that you drink and you black out and you have sex with people and you don't remember. That's one thing. And that's can, that has consequences too. being on drugs and blacking out. There's consequences. There's overdosing and I've overdosed six times at least, but to tell you how far bad or gone that I got with chem sex addiction, I was on an, a, a website that was known basically it, the, one of the options you have with hookup options is PNP, which is what we were talking about with TV and 
So you can go on that website and you can search for other people who do drugs and have sex who like PNP. And I was the type of chem sex addict that having sex with one person was never enough. I either needed a group of people or needed people to just keep coming. No pun intended. Um, meaning as soon as somebody would leave, I was on the app or I may have been on the app while they were there, bringing someone else there. I couldn't get enough. That's why my benders were three, four days long. But I'll remember this night because I was on that website and I was searching. I'm focused on are the pleasure parts. I don't care about the face. Don't care about how many teeth they have. I care about how big the, and then, you know, what the body looks like. Sometimes that even went Sometimes I don't even remember inviting the people over and they were there. So desperate for more meth, drinking my own urine to get more high because that will get you high. And I learned that from a comedian and it works and it's gross, but it worked. But this night, I remember it's a common thing for people that like bareback sex, which I did. It's a common thing for them to, to ask for HIV status and things like that. Oh, I'm clean. And oh yeah, I'm on prep and. I remember seeing that this guy was HIV positive and, but I wanted him in the most predatory of ways. And I'll never forget going to his house because for some reason, the thought of risking getting HIV seemed hot at the time. There's a name for it, by the way, it's called the pause chaser. It's interesting because I didn't know what that was, but I had read about it probably a few days before or something like that. And so I was like, what kind of person would be into wanting to hook up with somebody with HIV or AIDS, but it's a real fetish and somehow in my methed out brain felt like the risk was going to be worth it. So I went to this house and smoked a lot of meth. It's in Tulsa, Oklahoma, actually. <laughs> smoked a lot of meth, had sex and multiple people that night. And I remember a week later being back on that app because I, after I finally fell asleep, felt like death, wanted to die, probably went to church. Probably tried to ask for forgiveness. Probably, probably don't know for sure. Cause I know I was going to church to make my mom happy at that time. I remember seeing his profile with sober eyes. And seeing that it was HIV positive and seeing no prep, nothing like HIV positive. And I remember how sick I felt like, oh my God, what have I done? I didn't rush off to get tested. I didn't want to know. I didn't want to know. Eventually I had to get tested. 
and eventually I found out that I had HIV and, uh, and I was pretty, pretty messed up. Now, all that story is in the book, the devil inside me, the thoughts, the reaction, all that stuff, it was there in the book. So I'm not going to go through it now, but here's what I want to say. I gave myself HIV. It could have been that night, but it could have been any other time. And the truth is I could have very well had HIV already. I don't know. I don't know, but I gave it to myself. I gave it to myself because I couldn't quiet the demon. I gave it to myself because I never, ever wanted to use condoms. I wouldn't hook up with somebody if they wanted to use condoms because I wanted the real thing. I wanted what I saw on the porn screens that I was watching. And even if there was condom for it, I turn that off. <sighs> I was a demon. I was a demon. I was a chem sex addict. And I gave myself HIV and I put other people at risk. I, I, <clears throat> My preference for sexual activity at that time on drugs made it easier for me to get HIV, but I wasn't real. The odds of me giving it to someone else were a little bit more challenging, but still risky, like very risky. So I'm not like making light or anything like that. But the fact is that I put a lot of people at risk and because I didn't, I, cause I didn't know. HIV could have had it. I don't know, but I know I put people at risk. Anytime you have sex unprotected, you're putting people at risk, period. No matter what you, gonorrhea, syphilis. Yeah, I got those too, or had them. Somehow didn't get herpes, which just blows my mind. Cause I know, gotta love it when you you have sex with a girl for the first time and then then next morning she goes, I got to tell you, I have herpes and uh, I got it from this guy and he didn't tell me and, and you know, he was a real piece of shit for not telling me. Wait a second. Didn't you just tell me the day after we had unprotected sex that you have herpes? Mate. Anyway. I was so broken that I gave myself HIV. I was so broken that I didn't care about what I was doing, my behavior, the fact that I could have been giving something to someone else, even though, again, I didn't know at the time, but still it was irresponsible because I wasn't having protected sex. When I gave my life, to the Lord. I was in jail for the sixth time. I was locked in a cell that it was just me in the cell, this really small cell, couldn't see anywhere, but I could hear all the screams of the madmen. And the reason I was put there is because in LA County, I did not want to be going to where I was going to go for what I was arrested and domestic violence. So I told them that I had HIV thinking it was going to give me privileges. So they locked me there. And I was already high on drugs. It was cocaine and God knows how much tequila. And it took about, it took a day for things to wear off or for me to like really start to comprehend where I was at. And I 
have some sensory issues like loud noises, bangs, anything like sudden movements, like they trigger me a little bit. So they wreak havoc on my brain. It's so much better now. Those are the things that used to make me switch into the altars of the ID. But I remember like I needed a distraction so bad. I was begging for something to read and uh, wouldn't give me anything to read. But I remembered from some prison show that I watched, it was probably Oz that used to be on HBO like way back. And I seem to remember for some reason they had to give me a Bible and they did. And so without going, I mean, I've told the story as part of my testimony. It's also in the book. But the reason I'm going to share this part, because I feel like this matters, because if you're still watching and listening to this point, you're listening for a reason. So I'm going to share. Genesis didn't make sense to me. Revelation was a nightmare to read. I started reading Proverbs and Proverbs is relatively digestible, especially if you're not a Bible reader, you can read it and it's, oh yeah, well, I definitely haven't been doing that. Suck at that. Oof. Oof. Definitely doing that wrong. But I went to John and I started reading John. And the reason I started reading John is because I remember getting arrested with my friend named John. It's actually a really funny story. <laughs> I won't tell right now because I'll get sidetracked. And <laughs> it's funny. It is a very funny story. Not, not many arrest stories are funny, but this one is anyway, but it, it came to mind. So I started reading John. Everyone knows John three sixteen, right? I'm just reading and it's just this little Gideon Bible. It's not this giant one. And I don't even know, there's so many versions of the Bible. But 316, God loved the people of this world so much that he gave his only son so that everyone who has faith in him will have eternal life and not really ever die. God did not send his son into the world to condemn its people. He sent him to save them. No one who has faith in God's son will be condemned. But everyone who doesn't have faith in him has already been condemned for not having faith in God's only son. The light has come into the world and people who do evil things are judged guilty because they love the dark more than the light. People who do evil hate the light and won't come to the light because it clearly shows what they have done. But everyone who lives by the truth will come to the light because they want others to know that God is really, God is really doing, God is the one doing what they do. I've read the book, like the whole book of John. And for some reason, I never really believed or could even conceptually wrap my head around that Jesus really died on a cross. I'd heard it. In fact, it didn't even matter. It was like the story that I was reading about Jesus. I'm like, he lived this perfect life and he lived this amazing life. And like all the things that he spoke to his disciples were the perfect wisdom and then and perfect wisdom in John and, and any, anything that Jesus says. And it's like, I, But reading about this and reading about his sacrifice and reading about the light and the dark and this dark world that I was so comfortable with because I could hide and I felt safe there. But yet, how safe are you really when you're dying inside or you're already dead? I hated my father so much that I showed up late to his funeral over an hour late because I was doing 
tons of cocaine and having sex with random people, my girlfriend and I at the time. We were like hooking up until 6 a.m. I made a mockery of my father's funeral. I hated him. But in the moment of screaming at God while I was in jail, screaming, I mean, expletives at God. Why won't you? Why won't you change me like everybody else? All of these stories about Jesus coming and changing people's lives like that. Why would he change me? Why won't you change me? You have to forgive your father. How in the, so am I supposed to do that? After what he did to me, what he did to my mom, my sister. How am I supposed to do that? Because it happened to him too. All of the anger, all of the rage, all of the hatred, all of the resentment, all of the violence, all of the drugs, all of everything that I had been doing and I'd been living with, which I was just living in this toxic existence and hated everyone. And if you didn't do what I needed you to do, I hated you. And the people that I hurt the most were the ones that tried to love me because they wouldn't go away, even though I was hurting them. Because as soon as I would hurt them, I would nurse them back to health. And I would gaslight them to death so that they would come back to me because I was so afraid of being alone. I couldn't be alone. And the thought of them going and telling everybody my secrets, I was going to say and do anything possible to keep them from leaving me. Because if they left me, then everyone would know what a monster I was. And it was all because I was sitting with hatred, resentment, anger, confusion, judgment, and everything else you can imagine that I was blaming everyone else for. Oh, sure, it wasn't my fault I got molested. I don't think. I don't know. I could have brought it upon myself. Who knows? Sometimes I wonder. But the fact is, I didn't ask for that, but all the things that I did on my own, I'm responsible for that. I'm responsible for cheating. I'm responsible for abusing. I'm responsible for lying. I'm responsible for breaking people's trust. I'm responsible for breaking my mom's heart and hurting my kids. So, you know, I did all that. And it was for what? Hanging on to that anger and resentment didn't help anything. And then all this hate I had for my dad, I was doing everything he was doing, but worse. I'm way worse than my dad, but it, I hated him and was using my hatred to him to justify being a piece of shit, to being a deadbeat, to being a junkie, to being a sex addict and a pervert and everything else. So, I want you to know this. After realizing that all this stuff that I had hung on to, that was killing me inside, after all of it, do you? Well, after I realized that. I had hung on to this stuff. I'd become just like my father, and I was able to release some of that anger, some of that resentment. Dad, I needed forgiveness for my dad. I didn't just need to forgive my dad. I needed forgiveness from him. He didn't deserve to not have me there with him when he was dying from melanoma.
He didn't deserve me turning my back on him, even though I hated him. He didn't deserve the years of hatred that I kept towards him. Oh, sure, I needed to forgive him for the things that he did to me. But I needed forgiveness from him. And there was something about that moment of releasing, forgiving, even if it was that much, it was, I made enough room for God's light to start chipping away at those boulders that were knocking on my shoulders. And then I had this moment as I'm, this anger is slowly like, it's like leaking away. And I start to realize, wait a second, because I start to see these same dreams, these same visions that I had as a kid and older. And I didn't know what it was, but it was like me living this life, a different life that I would, had been living. And it was a better life and a life that brought me joy, a life that I thought was impossible. And all of those dreams started flooding, downpouring on me. And then I realized that every time something tragic in my life happened, I would see these visions. And I found out that it was God showing me what was possible for my life if I just chose to live it, to live the life he created me for. I ended up getting out of jail five days later. I never saw the judge. I got away with a felony domestic violence charge. Now, it should not have been a felony. Another conversation. Doesn't matter. I was still wrong. And it's really, and the reason why it was a felony is because it was my second one, not first. And I didn't see the judge. But so I was on the streets and I remember all these promises that I made to God and I will go into that story, but what I want to say is this, it's been seven years since that happened, six, seven years. And God has transformed and changed my life in amazing supernatural ways. I'm not perfect. My sexuality is still weird, but I've learned to, um, deal with it in a healthy way, <laughs> but I'm grateful. Like I'm pointing back there. My wife is upstairs. I'm grateful because I have this amazing, loving wife. I have amazing, loving kids and God has restored my life. I'm living the life that I'd always dreamed of living, doing what I dreamed of doing. And mind you, I have bigger dreams and there's more stuff to come, but the groundwork is laid, the foundation is laid, and I'm getting to do everything I dreamed of. So I'm not saying this to brag. I'm just saying that there's something really powerful about giving your life to the Lord. It's life-changing. It's heart-changing. It's mind-changing. It's spirit-changing. It's everything. And for all the evil that I did in the world, and again, if you don't, if that wasn't evil enough for you, to paint the picture of what Jesus can do in your life, I don't know what to tell you. But I'm living the life of my dreams and it's all because of the Lord. And what he's done with me, he can do with you. And look, I'm not a preacher. I'm not holy, holier than thou. I'm far from a saint, not even a choir boy, okay? Not, but I love the Lord with all my heart. And I'm committed to being a better man every single day because I'm not going to ever, I won't even be satisfied then, but I'm believing because I've seen God restore and repair so many areas of my life that were broken and screwed up and messed up that now I'm believing that one day I will have my twins back and I will get to have a relationship with them in some capacity. I'm hoping for a good friendship. 
at least let me be the crazy uncle because I'm a good crazy uncle. But my two stepdaughters, they would probably tell you that I was a good daddy too. That's what God can do for you. God can do much more than that. So I'm sharing this with you because I know, again, if this is, if you're still watching and listening, you're not completely grossed out by now, like you're here for a reason. So this message is for you. And I don't care if I lose every potential customer of my business or not. I don't care. Because this is what God has put on my heart to do. Why I do the broadcast that I do, the style, all the ones before I went off on this solo project. That, because I find great joy in sharing what the Lord has done for me. Because I know he can do it for you too. If you need prayer, you need anything at all, any type of support, do not hesitate to reach out to me. God bless you. And I'm here for you. Thank you for listening.